and welcome to the Guiding Compass podcast. My name is Sandra Kushner, and I started this podcast to allow specialists in the field of mental health to share with listeners a little bit about the work that they do, help destigmatize mental health, and help provide some good information for listeners to take home and apply to their own lives and improve them. So I'm so excited today. I have Mary um, Kukur. I forgot how to say your last name. I'm going to let you come in and say your last name properly so I don't mess it up for listeners. Yeah, my name is Mary Kay Cachero. Mary Kay Cachero. Sorry, guys. Sometimes I get the last names wrong. Um, And she is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She practices in Los Angeles, California. And I'm going to have her come on today and talk a little bit about her work with couples. Um, I'm so excited to have her on, and she has an exciting retreat that she is going to be hosting at the end of this month, so I'm going to give her some time at the end of the month, or at the end of the episode, to share a little bit of information with you guys about that. Uh, Mary, could you take a moment and just introduce yourself a little to our listeners? Sure. Thank you, Sandra. I'm happy to be with you today. Um, As I said, my name is Mary Kay Cachero. I am on the west side of Los Angeles and have been in a private practice here for 29 years. Prior to that, I was licensed and working um, at a child guidance clinic in Houston, Texas. My personal life brought me to Los Angeles, where I kind of quickly established myself as a marriage therapist. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, uh, but beyond that, I have uh, two advanced certifications in working with couples, and that's really what I do. I work with couples. I don't really see individuals very much at all unless it's, you know, in the service of their relationship, but generally, I'm I'm a relationship specialist. What made you interested in working specifically with couples and led you to that path to really building your practice around couples work? Right. Well, that's a good question. As I said, I started at a child guidance clinic and in Houston, a lot of those um, families that were coming in were court ordered because of neglect and abuse and all kinds of dysfunctional things, suicide attempts. And what I was noticing is that, you know, we, we had quite a, a good model for working with children, but the truth is a lot of these children were only having symptoms because their parents' marriages were so dysfunctional. And, you know, mm-hmm. children live in the space between mom and dad. And when that's not a functional relationship, it's very hard for kids to thrive. So I felt frustrated uh, by not having more access to the parents when we were doing child therapy. So when I got here, I had discovered Imago relationship therapy, Um, met someone here who in Los Angeles who was certified and had studied under Harville Hendricks and thought, wow, you know, what if, what if we really could make a difference in the lives of these children by making a difference in the lives of the adults who are in charge of them? And so I, um, started getting certified in Imago, I think it's been probably 27 years ago now, and mm-hmm. have uh, really been impressed with Harville Hendricks and the, and the work that he did. He was really one of the first people who 
developed a paradigm for working with couples that really was about the space between people, not about them internally. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's still a model that's very popular. He's gone on to written to write, you know, another seven books or so. And um, I noticed at UCLA next month, um, the conference for interpersonal neurobiology has him as a keynote and it's just really an honor to, to be certified in a be effective. Yeah, and you know, I actually got the opportunity to um, go to his speech at the Evolution of Psychotherapy conference. And I don't know much about Imago therapy, and I'm excited to learn a little bit more about that as you share with our listeners about the work that you do. Um, but what I really enjoyed that he said at the speech in this speech was that, you know, intimacy really exists in that space between two people. And yet we tend to think that it exists when people are meshed or um, that there isn't this differentiation, I guess, or separation of a couple. And I really, really enjoyed that he said that, that you need to be two whole individuals to really breed true connection and intimacy in a relationship and not look to your partner to actually complete you ra rather than to complement what you are fully on your own first. Um, well, you know, Harville, um, back in the day when Oprah had her daytime show on before the own you know, network came on board, she had had Harville on her show I don't know, maybe seven times and he's won Emmys for her because people love the theory. It speaks to them. Getting the Love You Want is his book, which um, is kind of the, the first book, the Bible on the theory. And it's been on the bestseller list on and off for something like 30 years now. And I, I think it's because it's so universally appealing in the way that it speaks to you. And you know, Oprah calls him the marriage whisperer. <laughs> so, and, and says that the only reason she's still with Stedman is because of the work she did with, with Harville Hendricks. And, um, and so he and his wife, Helly, Helen LaKelly Hunt, um, have developed the theory and the practice. And there are imago therapists in 35 countries around the world. It's mm -hmm. very universal and a, and a great model. So can you share a little bit about how you use this model in your work with couples and really what transformations you see come out of this type of therapy in people's relationships? How does it actually improve the couple system, help, um, help them communicate better and really reconnect? Well, first I should finish my journey so that I can go back to this, um, if you don't mind, Sandra, because after I got certified in Imago, I did a lot of advanced trainings within Mago. And at the time, I was getting uh, a lot of training from a woman named Haiti Schleifer. And Haiti was one of the top trainers in Imago, but over the years started developing, kind of pushing the Imago um, model to something that was a little bit different. The theory is very similar, but the practice of it was a little bit different. She started adding a lot of the um, research that we have from neurobiology in terms of what really creates connection, eye gaze, touch, breath. And because I'd been doing advanced training with her for Imago, I was really kind of learning 
a way of doing Imago that was more, we used to call it, we got Haitiized, you know, her name is Haiti. And we were sort of practicing it. Those of us who trained with her in a different, a slightly different way, you know, we were pulling people's chairs a little bit closer. We were really focused on um, having individuals come over an imaginary bridge of that space to be fully present in the world of their partner with no judgment and no criticism, but just curiosity for who they are as people and full presence and acceptance. And people shift, they do, they heal when, because most of us as children didn't get enough. We didn't get enough attunement from our parents. You know, even the best of parents can't be there 24 seven being fully aware of what the child's experiencing and in their world because as parents we've got our own stuff going on you know we, we can't we can't be fully in the world of the child who's tantruming at the supermarket because we just want them to get up and stop embarrassing us mm -hmm. so so what this model and actually both imago and encounter centered couples therapy which was what hades theory eventually became named I'm certified in both. And so I do a really nice blend of the two in my office because Imago theory is so uh, just foundational to the way I think about couples. And what Harville says about them is that we come into the world. So imagine this, Sandra, we just come into the world perfect, complete, and whole. You know, and if you've seen any new babies, I personally have a new baby in my life. My daughter had our first grandchild a few months ago. Congratulations. It is like the most joyous thing ever. It's so fabulous. But when you look into the eyes of a baby, they are always looking for your eyes. You know, if, if you glance away, they just keep following you because they mm -hmm. want us to look into their eyes. It's the way their brains develop is through that eye gaze. And you know, over time, and it doesn't take too much time as children, um, socialization pro practices begin to help us to exaggerate certain parts of our personalities that our parents like about us. So we'll kind of do more of that. And then if there's some stuff they don't like about us, we'll do less of that. And pretty soon we're shaping ourselves and being shaped, but we're no longer perfect, complete, and whole. Mm -hmm. For example, if you... Um, let's say something we do with little boys sometimes in our culture, you know, if they're expressing a lot of emotion, if they're crying, you know, you can hear, you can hear parents say, you know, stop that, grow up or be a man or, you know, don't stop. You're crying like a girl or, you know, in the worst case scenario, stop crying or I'm going to give you something to cry about. And so, you know, I actually just wrote a blog post on that and how we really do shape men into suppressing and repressing and disowning their feelings and viewing that as a bad aspect of who they are. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And you know, that's an example is in my family. Um, I, I was, you know, I think just too much. Like I just think my family had no idea what to do with me. And I was, you know, I had a lot of ideas and I can remember like, uh, I can remember hearing, um, you know, don't get too big for your britches. Well, okay. So those, those 
conditioned responses that we hear as children, we, you know, embed in our limbic brain and they become our mottos. They become what drives our emotions and our behaviors mm -hmm. for many years to come, decades. And sometimes they're not all that functional. You know, sometimes they're things that, you know, we, we made our mottos in order to survive our childhoods, but as adults, they're holding us back. Mm -hmm. and so if that's going on inside of me and I'm no longer perfect, complete, and whole, the way I came into the world, Harville's theory is that I will find someone to fall in love with who completes me or who I think completes me, someone who's carrying the shadow part of myself. Mm -hmm. And so when we're together, we feel perfect, complete, and whole. That's so relevant to so many couples where they look for a partner that either embodies qualities that if, if you really look deeply into the person that you choose, do they either embody qualities that you kind of suppress and disowned in yourself and can complete you in that way? Or are they, you know, a replica of your qualities and don't challenge, you know, what you've suppressed and it's really funny because i actually kind of sharing a little bit about my own life you know i went through some pretty big changes in my personal life this past year and really had to take a look at my own uh, former relationship and that that's something that i kind of brought awareness to in my own life was i was really you know choosing a partner that embodied all the qualities that i wasn't really allowed to have because my family was you know, first, I'm a first generation American. My family immigrated here from Ukraine and, you know, really wanted us to be successful and um, really pushed academic success and financial stability on us. Um, and I really felt like I had to, you know, be very responsible and do everything the right way and follow a certain path. And so, with that, I chose a partner that was very spontaneous and, you know, kind of much to the beat of his own drum and didn't really subscribe to those type of expectations. And as that relationship ended, I really had to learn how to accept that part in me, that it is okay to sometimes be spontaneous and kind of, you know, live life on my own terms rather than always following the expectations. So that kind of resonated what you just said with me. Wow. Taking a look at, you know, what you're looking um, for completion in your partner. What are you looking for in your partner to complete within yourself? Right. And so another piece of Imago theory um, to what you were saying, Sandra, is that this is not a conscious process. You know, we don't decide who we're going to fall in love with. Now, I know sometimes on dating apps, we pretend we're going to have some, some control over that. You know, we put in the checklist of what we're looking for. And then if somebody, you know, hits all the, the marks, then technically that should be the person we're going to fall in love with. And then what I hear over and over is people get excited about that. They go on the date and they come back kind of crestfallen. And I say, well, what happened? And they say, well, there wasn't any chemistry. You know, so this isn't a conscious process. There's so much going on in terms of mate selection and who we actually fall in love with. And I think, you know, Harville would say that it's an unconscious process that that leads us to fall in love with one person over another. And the unconscious process is familiar love. The word imago means image in Latin. And basically, we're talking about that template, what, what we think love is supposed to look like. And that template is made up of 
both the positive characteristics of our childhood caretakers, but, oh, but also the, the negative characteristics of those childhood caretakers. And so in the beginning, we're falling in love. We know neurobiologically that there are a lot of hormones and chemicals on board. Like we literally, nature gives us a boost. It gives us a little chemical cocktail so that we can be in love and only see what's positive. You know, it's like when we say love is blind, love is literally blind because when we're falling in love, those chemicals help us to feel more attracted, lustier, more sexual with this person, more interested in this person, a little anxious about them, like if they're not calling every 10 minutes. Uh, and so, you know, how long does that last? Well, Helen Fisher in her um, research tells us that maybe it lasts about two years. Mm -hmm. And then it's not intended to last, it begins to wear off. And as it wears off, we begin to see the negative characteristics of our mothers and our fathers or our other early childhood caretakers if you're reared by grandparents or you know other people and so you know that's the big that's the big crash in from romantic love into that what harville calls the power struggle you know the hormones wear off suddenly we're really looking at this person saying well you know, what I really, I'm going to take your example. What I really loved about you was that you were spontaneous and free and you were carrying that for both of us because I wasn't allowed to be that. That part of me had been really repressed. And so that's what I loved about you in the beginning. You were just so fun and so wild and so free. And a couple of years later, that's the very thing that's now annoying you and irritating you. Mm -hmm. And so it goes from you're so wonderful because you're spontaneous to why the hell can't you be responsible? Exactly. And I actually, um, back, what got me interested in marriage and family therapy in the first place was I actually took a class by Dr. Lisa Diamond, who's also been a go uh, guest on Oprah's show. She's a researcher at the University of Utah, where I went to undergrad. And the class was called Psychology of Love. And it really talked about this as being um, termed as rose-colored glasses, that when you're first falling in love with someone, you're seeing them in the world through this rose-colored lens of idealizing them and really looking at them as this perfect person. And as that, you know, early lust and infatuation kind of starts to fade off, the rose-colored glasses start to change and you start really seeing their imperfect perfections, I guess, as I call them, because I believe being imperfect is perfect um, in itself. But you start seeing the qualities of them that maybe you avoided or maybe that you kind of enjoyed at first become the things that actually um, begin to bother you about them in the long run. Right, exactly. And so whether we're talking about Imago relationship therapy or we're talking about encounter-centered couples therapy, what both of them do is to help the couple who is stuck in that vicious cycle of trying to get the other person to change back into the person they thought they fell in love with, mm -hmm. to help them move beyond that phase of the relationship into a deeper, truer, more mature love. Because without drugs, <laughs> you know, without the chemicals and the drugs. Because once they wear off, then the work begins. Then the work of relationship really begins because you have to figure out how to be together, how to have 
deep connection without having the benefit that nature gives us in the beginning. And so at that point, we know that 50% of couples who are married will get a divorce and many others who aren't married will just break up at that point because they don't have the tools or the skills to negotiate that phase of the relationship. And so they give up. So either of these models is really um, designed to help couples learn how to be together and to continue relationship to a very deep and long life mm-hmm. connection. So they both focus on communication, but I would say the main reason is to deepen that essential connection, to really get to what is their wildest dream for being together, what's in the way. So if you think that two people, well, this is from Encounter Center, but if you think Um, Mary, I think you're cutting out a little bit. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine. Yeah. Can you repeat that? You cut out. Where did I, where did you stop? Um, when two people, and then you cut out right after that. Have space between them and Mm -hmm. that the relationship lives in that space. My space or my partner's space, it's really ours and we co create it. Mm -hmm. We are each 100% responsible for what goes into that space. It's not 50 50. 50 50 is like a divorce contract, but marriage needs to be 100 100, which means I put my best self into our relationship regardless of what you're doing. And in all, you know, he's not paying any attention to me. So I'm just going out with my girlfriends all the time and I'm not paying any attention to him. And then they, well, she's going out all the time and she's never home. So I'm watching a lot of porn. And then she'll say, he's watching a lot. So I'm not having sex with him anymore. And he, do you see what I mean? It's yeah, like it turns into this really, really destructive power struggle rather than two people coming together in vulnerability, love, and support, it becomes almost a war between. Oh, absolutely. And that, that's usually the state people end up in my office in, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're very hurt. They're very defended. They're blaming each other for every problem. They're questioning whether or not they should stay there. Um, frequently, there are children. So that's an, ex- an extra complication. But when they realize that they're each 100% responsible for that space and that they have polluted the space. In fact, a lot of times this pollution about itself, nobody space. So our, I feel my job is to help them clean out all the pollution and learn ways to make space sacred, you know, to communicate in a way that creates so much safety that they don't have to spend any more energy defending themselves or protecting themselves from each other. And then that energy that they used to spend protecting themselves gets freed into the service of connection. And when they really feel connection, their anxiety goes down. They feel safe, they're connected, and they can begin to experience joy and passion sexual passion of course but also just that kind of life passion that where you look across the room and you go woohoo i get to be with this person today you know that kind of excitement and joy about being together yeah so, and i think that's appreciation for your partner and i if i recall um a little bit of what uh hendrix talked about it 
the evolution of psychotherapy conference that I went to was really looking at your partner with that admiration and curiosity because at that beginning stage of a relationship when you're falling in love and you're idealizing that person and it's all new and exciting you are really curious about them you want to know everything you possibly can about this person that you admire and adore so much but then as time goes on and you begin to kind of see some of their flaws and things change and you're comfortable that admiration and curiosity begins to die and gets replaced with an assumption or a prediction of what they're going to do or who they are and you know, he really talked about the importance of always kind of maintaining that curious stance and looking at your partner with, you know, a blank slate and seeing who is this person? What is this experience like for them? Rather than ascribing a judgment or, you know, making meaning of what might be going on in your own head and kind of projecting that onto them. And I thought that was so beautiful because that is what happens often in relationships you know, you begin to assume you know how that person is feeling or how they're going to react or respond rather than looking at them as having their own internal experience or perception. Right, absolutely. So a couple of things about that, you know, um, Esther Perel, a very leading sex therapist, talks about novelty because novelty is what creates that dopamine and the endorphins in the brain and that desire for one another when we no longer have any novelty in the relationship you know to your point you know when you become so familiar that you you think you know everything and there's nothing new to discover well then the desire also goes down which is why you can have couples who've been married 20 30 years have relatively good relationships, fairly good communication tools. They do things together. They seem to enjoy each other, but they're not having sex. They're mm -hmm. no longer having sex. Well, that's because they have um, failed to focus on creating some, no some novelty in their relationship. And so Esther talks about the importance of that. And it is one of the things that Haiti um, has incorporated in encounter-centered couples therapy is this notion that we can imagine a metaphor of a bridge that goes from one person to the other person. And when you arrive in the other person's world, it is so vast and so complicated and so interesting that you can visit different neighborhoods in the other's world and really get to know them in a different way. And like Harville says, if you take only curiosity on that visit to your partner without any of your own preconceived notions of who they are or what you think you know or judgment or even criticism, if you leave all that on your side of the bridge and go over with nothing but curiosity and open-heartedness, you can really um, go on an adventure. Mm -hmm. and that, that adventure really stimulates the interest and the novelty in the relationship. It's also very healing, like I started to say in the beginning, None of us got enough of that as children. Somebody being fully in our world, understanding us, empathizing with us, validating our viewpoints. That's, that's healing. And it's healing from the bottom up. You know, it's not top-down healing. It doesn't come from thoughts. It really comes from an experience that, that we can check in on our bodies and say, you know, how does that feel right now with your partner in your world? It's, it's really very healing. And, and couples 
come in in this power struggle and they go out so deeply connected that you know transformation is happening there. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I love the way that you use these metaphors and ways to describe this process because it's so easy to become codependent on our partner and look to them to numb or complete you know, parts of ourselves. People get very, very lost, I think, often in relationships. And I think a beautiful way of looking at intimacy isn't necessarily, you know, coming together. It's sometimes being apart and looking at, you know, this, what you said, the space between the two people. Right. It is actually that concept is what I love most about encounter-centered couples therapy is that we go over the bridge to visit our partner and by by saying we're leaving ourselves we're going on a journey and we're metaphorically taking a trip and when we land in our partner's world it's a different world than our own so right there we're creating differentiation and and an acceptance that i am not you and you are not me and when we do that we experience a soul-to-soul encounter that creates deep connection so it's it's so fascinating the way in order to get the deep connection, you first have to differentiate. Yeah, that's very, very true. Um, I wanted to make sure that we touch a little bit on how you use this with couples that are you know, about to get married and in your premarital couples work. Yes. So let me tell you a little bit what I tell people when they call to work with me. I have a variety of ways I work with people. Mm-hmm. Um, the shortest period of time is 90 minutes. And, um, you know, couples can book a 90-minute session. They can come as many times as they want uh, for 90-minute sessions. And some people prefer that week-to-week therapy model. Uh, it fits better with their lives, with their budgets, whatever. But I also do two-day private intensives where couples come for two full days. They come from nine to six, two days in a row. And in that process, we're able to go very, very deep and to have a variety of over-the-bridge rituals that we do. And each one builds on, on the one that came before it. So it's, it's very structured. It's not like people go, well, am I just going to come in and complain for two days? No, <laughs> there's no complaining allowed. We really work hard on figuring out what's really going on, which also includes going back to childhood, looking at the attachment style. You know, what did you come out of your childhood with? Are you securely attached? Meaning, do you feel okay about yourself even when your partner is acting up? Or does that you know, do you avoid? A lot of people have avoidant attachment styles um, where, Mm -hmm. you know, they want intimacy, but when it arrives, it scares them to death. And so we have to work on that, you know, so, so the two days is very deep and very transformational. I also do workshops and workshops are one day and two days, depending on which one you go to and workshops are great, but because there's more couples involved, it tends to be somewhat more educational Mm-hmm. than actually being in therapy, although they're therapeutic, but in and of themselves, workshops tend to be more education because there's more presenting and you know, there's just more couples involved. And then at the end of February, I'm doing what I call a hybrid model, which is taking a lot of what's great about a workshop and what's great about a private intensive and making it for five couples. So whereas a workshop could be 15 couples, 
this is only going to be five couples and I'm going to follow the private intensive model, but do it with five couples so that everybody gets a chance to be individually coached by me, each couple, and then also to go off and practice what they're learning with the assistance of other trained therapists that will be there to assist. So I'm really excited about it because it's kind of new and different. And it's a model that my mentor, Heidi Schleifer, has been doing around the world. She's literally been doing these everywhere. And, uh, and I, think it's, I think it's a nice hybrid between, you know, the workshop and the private. And it'll, it'll be good because it's also in a beautiful setting. So people can do this hard work, but also relax and enjoy one another. It's going to be at a beautiful estate in Montecito. That's amazing. Yeah. And that, is that for couples that are already married or is this a is this for couples that are looking for pre-marriage counseling or kind of open to whoever is interested? Yes, open to whoever is interested. So um, typically for my workshops and, and private intensives, we, we'll get a, you know a mix. Sometimes um, couples who are engaged really want to go deep and make sure they're doing the right thing. I also have couples who are already married, um, sometimes in crisis, like post-affair, somebody's mm -hmm. made a discovery. I have same-sex couples that attend, heterosexual couples that attend. The work is so universal, Sanja, that it's really good for anyone. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are a premarital couple, um, I also do workshops specifically for engaged and freshly married couples. Uh, the next one is on May 5th. And I love the title. This is an Imago workshop. It's called Start Right, Stay Connected, which I think says it all. <laughs> it's a great title. Uh, it's really one full day of setting the foundation for marriage, learning a lot about what makes marriages succeed or fail. Um, a lot of the research from John Gottman gets into that workshop, as well as teaching this strong Imago communication model that, that couples really love and can continue to, to use. I think that's so important because I'm all about preventative, you know, care for relationships. And I learning this before you get into a marriage and bring children into the world, I think is such a powerful tool that can, you know, if enough people access this and learn this information, it can really change our world in a pretty significant way. Um, you I, know, I have to really tell you. I have to tell you a fun thing that happened this week. So um, in January, I did one of these premarital workshops and I had this lovely couple. They were, you know, 29, 30 years old and they were just lovely. And um, about two weeks later, I got a call from this couple that were, you know, more like my age in their 60s. And um, they came in for a first appointment and I asked, you know, how they had found me. And they said, oh, our daughter insisted that we come because she went to your workshop and she said, mom, dad, you guys could so use this. <laughs> and so after 35 years of marriage, um, the kids sent the parent. So, you know, I, th I think it's a, I think it's a good testimony for how the work really spans the years of of um, relationship and marriage and is really useful for almost everyone. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think in a way it breeds, you know, personal development within a, the context of a relationship. And I think that's really, really important. Um, a lot of people in this world right now are so disconnected. Absolutely. Technology and work and stress and all of these things kind of come between us and our our relationships. And so when we do 
find a relationship or find someone that we can finally feel connected to, I think it's very easy to kind of get lost in that. Yeah. Well, if you think about how our, our hurts occur, our hurts and our wounds occur in the context of relationship. Mm-hmm. And so healing them in the context of relationship makes sense. Yeah, that's very true. Okay. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your busy Sunday um, to record the opportunity. I appreciate it, Sandra. Yeah, of course. And um, I just wanted to give you some time. You spoke a little bit about your workshops, but I just wanted to make sure that you had some space to share a little bit more about how clients can reach you. If other therapists want to collaborate and work with you or have any questions um, how can how can they contact you and just anything else you want to share about your practice? Yeah. And as my listeners know, I'll always link um, the bio and the website link below. Um, but yeah, just if you want to share a little bit about anything you have upcoming. Yeah, okay. So the retreat is the last weekend in February. Five couples. I think there's like one space left, maybe two. And that's going to be in Montecito at a beautiful estate, an eight-bedroom, eight-bath house. Everybody will have their own private bedroom and bath. And there's a beautiful pool, and we'll be taking a mountain hike in the mornings, and it's going to be really lovely. So that's one thing coming up. May 5th is the next one-day premarital workshop uh, for engaged couples, and um, newly married couples also benefit from that a lot. So that's coming up in May. And um, the best way, I I get a lot of uh, referrals from other therapists, you know, therapists who maybe are working with um, the husband or the wife, the man or the woman, or whatever that is, and want somebody to see them as a couple. But I also get referrals from therapists who've been working with couples, with a couple, and and seem to be kind of stuck. They're they're plateaued in the work, and they they really want the opportunity for the couple to do an intensive. And when a therapist refers a couple for an intensive, I encourage the therapist to come with them and to be with us for those two mm-hmm. straight days, for a couple of reasons. One is that it It helps the therapist to track what has happened that's been transformational in those two days because I always send the couple back to the therapist to do the follow-up work. Mm -hmm. It's important for the therapist to know know, what the couple has experienced so that they can pick up where that leaves off. Also, a lot of therapists have told me that it's the best training, that if you can just come and sit with me doing the work for two days, it really does teach you some new skills and tools to use with couples. So I'm really open and very welcoming to other therapists who want to collaborate in that way. And I always appreciate when they send me uh, couples to work with. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. And um, is the website below linked in the bio, the best way to reach you? Is there an email and phone number? I believe I gave you all of that, but of course you can email through the website. It's www.mkcachero.com. I also, um, do I have a minute to tell you about the collaborative group I formed? Yeah, of course. Okay, so um, about six years ago now, I was thinking that private practice can be very lonely. And even though I'm the president of the Southern California Imago Therapy Association, and I'm, you know, a member of LA Camped, and I certainly, you know, 
network with other therapists, but on my day-to-day um, practice, I, I was feeling like I really wanted to assemble a collaborative group where we could all office together and have some big common shared space where we could talk to each other, you know, because private practice can be very lonely. Mm-hmm. So I started this group called the Conversation Group, and it is um, a group of us. There are, well, now there are five of us, and we have a Facebook page, which we just post a lot of inspirational things to, and we have a website. We do a speaker series every three months. We try to get in somebody amazing to um, speak on a variety of topics. Uh, our next one is in March, and we're bringing a woman from Copenhagen, Denmark, to talk about infant therapy. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's amazing, really. And so we have... Um, Conversation Group LA is our website, and uh, actually, I can tell you exactly what it is. Yes, it's www.conversationgroupla.com. And so, if you want to look at us as a group, you can also go there, and there's a number of resources and things on that website as well. Okay, wonderful. Thank you again for coming on the podcast today, Mary. Um, For my listeners, I have a really great lineup of speakers coming up. Um, I want to apologize. I'm a human and this week I've been kind of stressed out and all over the place. So I'm so glad, Mary, that you kind of took control of this episode and really, you know, kind of led the discussion. Thank you again. And I hope that you know, you have clients reaching out for you for, or have questions about this that can reach out to you about your work and any therapists that want to learn more about these modalities. Um, yeah, I have a great lineup in the next few weeks coming up and thank you guys for tuning into the guiding compass. Uh, I wanted to say thank you for listening and all of your support. Um, and remember to follow your compass. Thanks guys. Have a great day. Bye.